You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 71 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Catch and Release. Catch and Release is a band from Ontario, California, whose sound reflects their emo and post-hardcore influences. They've been playing music together for a few years now, but only recently decided to go all in and tackle the SoCal music scene. For more information on Catch and Release, you can check them out on Instagram, at Catch and Release Band, on Twitter, at Catch Release 5, and on Facebook, at Catch Release 01. Now here it is, their new single, Heavenly Bodies. Atrocities, but the 
What's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search the Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Hey, this is Bradley Bell from the band Chiodos, and you are listening to That One Time on Tour. Hey everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. This is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and we always have a kick-ass conversation. Last week was amazing. Thank you for checking out the episode, episode number 70 with Grant Emerson from the awesome band Delta Ray. Uh, We charted. We did really, really well. We had a lot of people check out the show that probably had never checked it out before. Delta Ray is kind of like a pop country band. 
And uh, we had a lot of people that emailed and and just said how much they love the show. And we had a lot of new subscribers. And uh, I'm very, very happy about that. So we're, we're crossing genres, man. That's what we do here at the show. Not really. We mostly have punk and metal and hardcore bands on here. But uh, we're trying. We're trying to, to step out into some new lanes. But uh, thanks a lot to Delta Ray for sharing everything last week. It really helps when the when the guests share the link. And uh, thanks a lot to Grant for coming on the program. It was really cool to, to have somebody that maybe is playing in a little bit of a different arena than most of the people on the show. So make sure to check them out. They are getting ready to do a West Coast run. So you can go to Deltaray.com and check out the dates and, and tell them that I sent you. This week on the program, I got to sit down with Mr. Bradley Bell, keyboardist, pianist from uh, the awesome band Chiodos. I know you guys know who Chiodos is. Uh, they're not doing anything currently, but uh, they they were huge, man. They toured with Alice in Chains and Nine Inch Nails in Australia. Like they did some crazy stuff. But uh, I got to know the guys in Chiodos back on Warp Tour 2009. Their singer Craig actually got up and did some songs with the Ataris a couple times. And uh, they're great guys. They're a great band. Very passionate about they about what they do. Their stage show was so so intense and and so awesome. And uh, we talk about all of that. We talk about the rise of the band, kind of the fall of the band, you know, changing singers and then getting Craig to come back. And and Bradley's whole deal, he just tells like he doesn't pull, he didn't hold anything back. It's, it's a really good interview. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get to that, we need to do a little bit of housekeeping. I need to tell you guys about my awesome sponsors. Uh, you're going to hear an ad for this first sponsor in the middle of the of the podcast. But uh, we have a new company that has signed on to kind of be a big deal sponsor for us. They're called the Merch Planet. They make uh, t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. If you're a band or a company and you need anything made, you need to go on over to themerchplanet.com. And we do have a promo code that you will hear in the commercial. So make sure to show some love to the Merch Planet over at themerchplanet.com. Thank you guys so much for you know helping us keep this thing going. I really appreciate it. On to the next, we've got Permanence Tattoo Gallery. They're still on. My buddy Jacob Harrison, owner and tattooer extraordinaire over at Permanence Tattoo Gallery in downtown Anderson, Indiana. That is right, Meridian Street in Anderson, Indiana. If you guys need ink and you're local, head on over right now. If you need to drive and travel to get here, you really should. It's a great shop and they will hook you up. You can check them out everywhere online at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Now, our last sponsor I need to tell you about is Merge 4, and I've told you about this company so much. They make socks. They're an amazing, amazing place. Cindy over there at Merge 4, thank you so much for being a sponsor. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, we had this little Patreon contest for our patrons. It's exclusive to our patrons. They can win some cool stuff for Merge 4. <clears throat> and I put together these little, like, T-O-T-O-T fun pack prize pack things with some merge Four swag and some stuff from our other sponsors and some of the bands that have sponsored episodes. And I'm going to give two of them away. And I have chosen at random, I actually put the names of all the patrons in a big hat and I drew them out. So I'm getting this out right now and I'm going to tell you the winners. So uh, if I had little cheesy sound effects that some podcasts have, I would put a drum roll right here. But I don't. So uh, this is our first big contest for the patrons. And the winners of the Merge 4 contest are Jackie Marshall from Indiana, 
and Carl Uberbacher from Vermont. So Jackie Marshall from Indiana and Carl Uberbacher from Vermont. The way that this is going to work is you guys need to shoot me a message on Patreon or shoot me an email and let me know that you want the prize and I'll ship it out to you. But you guys won. And uh, being a patron of this podcast, it pays dividends. You guys need to become a patron. So shout out to Merge4 for for, uh, the really cool swag stuff I'm going to be sending out to our contest winners. You can check out Merge4 at Merge4.com or all the socials at Merge4. And Jackie Marshall from Indiana and Carl Uberbacher from Vermont. Email me or send me a message on Patreon and I will ship you guys out your stuff. And if for some reason you don't want your stuff... Next week, I will give it to somebody else. So you got to hit me up and let me know that you're listening and let me know that you want me to send you out your prize pack. And uh, people really do win on the Patreon for that one time on tour. If you guys want to become involved with the Patreon, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. Get involved at the $5 level and you will have all kinds of access to exclusive content. I'm going to start putting up some more bonus episodes soon. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. You could win stuff. I have some videos posted over there. This cool like homemade DIY Atari's video that I did for one of our songs from back in the day. And uh, there's all kinds of cool content over there. So head on over there and check it out. I also want to give a shout out. We added a new tier other than the $5 tier that is called the producer tier. Uh, there were some people on Patreon that were asking, they were, they were upping their pledge because you're allowed to pledge whatever you want. And I thought, well, why not just add a cool feature on there to where you can be a producer of the podcast. And right after I did it, we had our first producer tier patron. And I want to give a shout out to punk rock, Bob Foster out of Hemet, California. I love you, dude. I appreciate the support. It really helps out. And you are now a producer of that one time on tour. So uh, shout outs to Bob. You can hit him up, uh, Punk Rock Bob Foster on uh, on Instagram, I think. I'm not sure. But uh, Bob is a big help for the show. He always has really good suggestions for guests. And uh, he, he hits me up all the time with like little tidbits and things that he thinks I need to do. And I really appreciate the feedback and I appreciate the support. You know, I don't make any money doing this podcast. It's, it's kind of a labor of love and it costs money to keep the thing going. And with you guys, you know, supporting me and letting me know that what I'm doing is worth something to you, it means a lot. So if you want to become a patron, like I said, you can get in on the $5 tier or now there's the $25 tier to where you can be a producer and get a shout out on the show every week as a producer. So I'd like to welcome our new producer, Punk Rock Bob Foster from California. Thank you, Bob, for the support. But now that the housekeeping is over... We are going to very shortly jump into my conversation, but uh, I would like to tell you guys that we are on all of the podcast catchers, Apple podcast, you know, Stitcher, Google podcast, Spotify, everything. And wherever you listen, please leave us a review, preferably five stars, subscribe, rate everything. It helps the show go a long way, but I'm going to shut up and I'm going to get out of here. This is my conversation with Mr. Bradley Bell of the awesome band Chiodos. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Bradley Bell from uh, the awesome band Chiodos. How are you doing today, Brad? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. You know, living the dream. Sometimes a nightmare, but uh, <laughs> living either way, so it's good. And you're up in uh, in Michigan still, correct? 
Yeah. Um, I, I live in Davison, Michigan, which is where the band originated from. Um, but ironically, yeah, I'm the only one that still lives in the town here, at least. Well, you're fairly close to me. I'm, uh, I've lived down uh, at the beach down in Alabama, close to Florida for a long time, but I, I'm now back in my home state of Indiana. I think you're probably only about oh, three cool. and a half hours from me right now. Yeah, is that like Fort Wayne area where you're from? Uh, I'm about an hour south. I'm in Muncie, where Ball State University's at. Okay, cool. Yeah, not far at all. Yeah, right I, down I can go an there. hour north to Fort Wayne or an hour south to Indianapolis, so I'm right smack dab in between those cities. Nice, the good old Midwest. <laughs> yeah, good old Midwest, right? Okay, so uh, what we do at the beginning of this podcast, you know, I I did want to say that you and I've met before, but I don't. We never really hung out. I know uh, I got to meet a lot of you guys during Warp Tour 2009 because I was playing with the Ataris. We were on the main stage with you guys. And I just got to say, I watched you guys every day because it was just such a powerful live show. Like, did you guys always have that passion and that power when you guys played live? Yeah, I mean, that was always kind of the goal of ours, you know, was to make uh, music that could portray a lot of energy and translate that on the stage, you know. I mean, I think, like, growing up, <clears throat> when that really kind of uh, struck me was, you know, I w- was going to concerts and... And all of a sudden I saw I had to drive and come out on stage and they just blew me away. And I was like, I, I need to be in a band that is that eclectic and just that in your face and kind of just leaves you walking away. Like what just happened, you know? So, um, so we always kind of, you know, wanted that to be our main goals as, as a band besides, um, outside of the music writing, uh, but to, you know, get the crowd involved and, and just get out there and, and party and have a good time. So what was your like your upbringing as far as music was concerned? Like I think we're fairly close to the same age. I'm 40. I think you're like 36 or 37. When uh-huh. when, when you got into music, what bands did it for you? I mean, other than at the drive-in influence the live show later on, but what were some of your first bands you got into at a young age? Um, let's see. I guess I I kind of started to get into like the punk rock movement around 8th grade, you know, listening to uh, like No Effects and Lagwagon and then um, transitioning into some ska there. And then I think that opened the door as I was getting into high school in the late nineties, um, got into, you know, the earlier emo scene with like the get up kids and alkaline trio and, uh, saves the day and a lot of the pop punk stuff as well. Um, and then I guess probably around the 2000 era, I really started to get into like, you know, some of the heavier, emo stuff i guess is what they call it uh you know like boy sets fire and then lean into like the whole hardcore genre and we were like you know we need to kind of incorporate that into what we're doing because it's a blast to go out and and uh play that style of music had you uh did you start on the piano because i know you're a keyboardist you're actually the first keyboardist i've had on the program so uh, oh, congratulations cool. you're the first one <laughs> i've had a All lot right. of drummers and singers and guitarists and bass players but you're the first keyboardist so i'm excited about that but yeah was that um, was that your chosen instrument to begin with piano or or did it come from somewhere else it was my forced upon instrument <laughs> instrument okay. i guess uh, uh, my parents are both spectacular uh pianists and they forced me to take lessons at when I was seven years old but I mean I enjoyed it you know um I don't think I 
probably had the dedication and unnecessarily needed at that time. But um, as I was getting older, they uh, they said, okay, you just need to at least be focusing on an instrument if you if you don't want to do the piano anymore. So in middle school, I switched over to get to the guitar and was taking lessons with that. And I realized the piano was was a pretty cool instrument after all. You know, I would sit yeah. down and play it like at school and stuff. And then all the girls would flock over on the piano and I'd be like, okay, I need to get back into this again. So I was, I was uh, taking lessons for both those and vocals all at the same time as I was uh, growing up. So, so with the piano, this is a question that I've always wondered. I, I know a lot of guys that, that play keyboard and, and they learn, you know, traditionally that they know how to read music and everything. And, when you guys were like writing songs, did you write everything out or were you, did, could you improvise? Like, cause I know so many people that I tell them like, Oh, this song's in C major, just make something up. And they can't do that because they're so structured. How, how was that for you? Yeah, most of us were actually, you know, thera- theoretically trained, it, it seems like. So, um, we always communicated, uh, by, you know, talking in a music language and theory and, um, but I, I know like Pat never really had any lessons or there was a couple people that didn't, but that they, they picked up along the way, you know, so that we could all communicate a lot easier. And, um, but yeah, that made it easy for us in that aspect. And it was something that kind of set us apart too. Cause I remember with bands that we would tour with a lot of times, they'd be like, uh, kind of confused when we would throw out, you know, key signatures and whatnot. Yeah. They, just, they said they would just like sit down and play riffs together and, I don't know how uh, how you could do that without communication, but you know, to each their own. And I, I feel like it kind of brought to uh, that classical element that you would hear in some of our songs: the fact that we were classically trained. Hey, this is Skippy from Pirates Press and Pirates Press Records, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. If you haven't already, please check out rocktheshipfestival.com. Pirates Press is celebrating its 15th anniversary by throwing a punk rock show on the deck of an aircraft carrier here in the Bay Area. We've got Cox Bar, Subhumans, Street Dogs, Off With Their Heads, Monster Squad, The Drowns, and Territories, and seven other club shows to go with it. Tickets are cheap and going fast. That's rocktheshipfestival.com. Yeah, I mean a lot of the uh a lot of your influence, I guess, the the keyboard parts, the piano parts in some of those songs, I think it really I mean, there were so many bands back and they just playing heavy riffs and, and just going crazy, but that the whole addition of that sort of classical or neoclassical piano style, I think it really set you guys apart. Yeah, you know, I mean there was a few other bands kind of in the same genre with, with keyboards at the time, but I feel like I was kind of doing um, like less synthy stuff compared to them and more, you know, piano driven and piano based stuff. So we are always trying to, you know, even, even follow like old formulas from classical songs instead of going, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. We were trying to make each song like a story in itself and an adventure, um, with, you know, different peaks and valleys and, and not necessarily a cookie cutter structure. So that, was also coming from studying, you know, classical music. 
So I know that uh, you were in a band called Still No Still No Sign. You play. You were the lead. Uh, the lead vocalist. Research, yeah, yeah I, did, I did some research. <laughs> I just always like to know where everybody comes from, where their story comes from. So that it said on the internet, of course, it was a pop punk band. I don't know if that's correct or not. But uh, you, yeah. were, you were the lead singer in that band. How did that band come about? Was that in like high school yeah. or like like yeah, right that was after my high school, school band? Um, okay. I think we started that my sophomore year. Uh, Pat from Chiodos was on it as well. He played guitar and just a couple other guys from our high school. Um, but yeah, I I was a uh, lead vocalist and it was it was a fun time. You know, it never really uh, did more than just playing at a, our local and town venue. But um, I went away to college. Um, yeah. And the, the band killer. A lot of times, people go. To yeah, it college. was. Uh huh. <laughs> so when I when I went away, uh, I, I guess some inner band fights happened while I was gone, and I came back, and they said, "Hey, we're not a band anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and Craig, uh, Craig and Matt had started an acoustic project, uh, you know, called the Giro Brothers, and. Uh, Chiodos Brothers and they wanted me to uh, to join it with Pat and make it a full band. So on my uh, freshman year of college, Christmas break, we, we began the band that way. Now, I was trying to remember, I, I've played with a lot of bands around the area. This band called Brazil that was on Fearless Records and mm-hmm. a, a bunch of other bands. I remember, and I can't remember what band I was playing in, and I, I cannot remember exactly where it was at, but it, I seem to remember it being somewhere in Illinois or Michigan. And we were playing a house show and we were playing a show with Chiodos brothers. It wasn't Chiodos. Yeah. I remember. And I remember there were more than two people and I don't even remember the year. Like how long did you guys go with that moniker before you guys changed it to just Chiodos? Um, see, we started, uh, or they, they started in 2001 and, um, I guess we changed the name officially when we signed to Equal Vision Records at the end of 2004. So, okay. about so four a- years. Anytime, yeah. anytime between there could have been that show. I yeah. don't really remember. Oh, yeah. We was. were doing, we were visiting Indiana and, and, and playing down there. So, um, very well could have crossed paths with, with, uh, the old moniker. Well, and in the old moniker, Chiodos Brothers, that is, uh, it kind of harkens to the filmmakers that did Killer Clowns from Outer Space and a lot of other movies. Were, were they? Were you guys all fans of those guys? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, like I said, they, they named the band before I had joined it, um, but they got it off the back of a Killer Clowns of Outer Space uh, movie box, and um, they were just looking for a last minute band name for a talent show entry from what i've been told and so it, it just stuck because i think that they, they they won the talent show and they wanted to just keep going forward with it so they kept the name and um it's, it's actually cool because uh eventually you know after um we started touring and doing warp tours and stuff we got hit up by um one of the I think they pronounce it Kyoto Brothers as, as their pronunciation. And we got hit up by one of their sons and got offered to come to their studio and take a tour. So wow. we had to go see like all the old killer clowns and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and things from other movies that they did. It was it was pretty awesome. That's awesome. So you, you mentioned changing the name once you guys signed to Equal Vision. I know you guys released a lot of EPs throughout that time. What was the process like for you guys signing to Equal Vision? Were they aware of you, or did you guys send just like an unsolicited thing? How did that happen? 
Um, well, let's see. There was a website called what, Pure Volume. Was that the big I, thing? I, I remember Pure Volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had this little uh, ranking system on the on the right hand side. I think of uh, like plays for the day. You know who was getting the most plays, and um, so our guitar player Pat uh, figured out how to kind of take advantage and of that system and attack it from, you know, different proxies or yeah and whatnot. And, uh, so he boosted our, boosted our, play, <laughs> our plays quite a bit for a few days and it caught the attention of equal vision records and they emailed us and, and said that they wanted to meet up and, and, and so they flew out to one of our hometown shows and we really hit it off with the A&R guy. He was, he was blown away and we, um, went out and did a showcase for the actual label in New York. And <clears throat> I think they were kind of weird of it, but they let him take a gamble on us. So what was the the atmosphere like with you guys at that time? Cause I mean, the desired effect of messing with your plays was probably to get the attention of somebody. So, I mean, were you guys just freaking out the entire time? Yeah. I mean, we're trying to, we kept it a secret for a long time, but then looking back on it, we were like, this is kind of a funny story, you know? So I think, Eventually, we let, we let alternative pressing on it, and they ran with it a few, a few years back. But um, yeah, no, we were just excited, you know. I mean, we were good things were happening locally, you know. We were playing all over the state, you know, and and across the Midwest a bit, and we just noticed that people were uh, coming out to see us everywhere we went. So we knew it was something that had legs. It's just about, I mean, we're all about nineteen, twenty years old at this point, and we just wanted to get attention of people and we didn't know how you know so we jumped on the internet bandwagon and yeah and uh tried to exploit it the best way that we can you know my old band we used to uh i've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times uh when napster was like the new thing we would uh put up our songs and we would say like new no effects song unreleased but then we would also have like in parentheses like our website <laughs> So then people, I had, we had so many people that downloaded our songs and they got, hey, there you go. they got mad, but then they liked the song. So then they're like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? They go to our website. So I've always, you had to be like a hustler back then, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's all fair play in an industry that's so like manipulated by power and control that, um, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, trying to get your name out there by cheating the system like we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, it, it, it paid off. It worked, right? Yeah, uh, and now we can look back and tell the story, and it's funny. But um, yeah, so then we met with Equal Vision, and and they they gave us a stipulation. You know, your name's kind of silly, so <laughs> if you wanna wanna deal with us, you're gonna have to uh, modify that. Was everybody in the band on board with that? I'm, I'm sure they were. Yeah, I think we were just so excited at the point that um, we were willing to to do whatever it took, and it made sense. I mean to it would, was easier to brand that way. That's cool. So, and you yeah. talked about, you know, growing up in Michigan, the local place you were playing, there's a place, I, I didn't see this anywhere. I was just going to ask if this is what you guys were a place you guys played, but my first band was a band called chronic chaos when I was in high school and then out of high school. And, uh, we always used to go up there and we would play a place called the local four, three, two in Flint. Did you guys yeah. play mm -hmm. there quite a bit? Yeah, that's, that's the place I've been referencing it the whole time. And, uh, yeah, it, it was our, you know, like our, our local stable, it's, it's where, where we began, where we used to go to shows in high school first. And then, you know, even with still no sign, that's where we always played. And then with the, the Chiados brothers, that's where we played. And, and, um, we just started, 
you know, having really successful shows there. And um, it became like a big deal, you know, we were selling it out and, and um, it was giving us the encouragement to, you know, try booking our own tours across the country, even though we couldn't get that draw everywhere. But, you know, we did find some little pockets that we could. But yeah, the, the local, I mean, it, it's still going on, you know, it's, it's still a venue downtown Flint here and uh, a different location, but, you know, it's a great, a great place for uh, up and coming musicians. So did you guys, I know you're not super, super close to Detroit. I mean, I know it's not that far away. Did you guys make it into Canada at all, like into Windsor, like early in the career? Or was that later on when you guys started doing that stuff? Oh, I think um, uh, it was kind of early on. We, we put out an EP on Search and Rescue Records first before EcoVision, uh, um, which is a label based out of Michigan. And uh, he had us go into Canada with one of his other label mates, they were called Benson out of New York. So that was our first exposure into Canada. And, um, but other than that, yeah, we didn't really make the hop over very much until we got, uh, signed and worked on, you know, national tours and whatnot. We, we would just, uh, we would go across like tourists and just always have, like, we'd have to use the other band's gear because we never wanted to tell them that we oh, were yeah. actually a band, you know? Yeah, especially we, we we had a short bus at first that we would travel around in. So tra- traveling across the border in a short bus with, with gear wasn't always the yeah. easiest process. <laughs> so you guys released All's Well That Ends Well, your debut full length for Equal Vision. I mean, that just had to feel like such an accomplishment. I remember listening to that. Somebody let me hear it like pretty shortly after that, either, to, either right when it came out or maybe like six months later. And I just, I fell in love with it, man, because it had the oh, cool. the power of like, hardcore and metal but then it had like the punk rock kind of passion and ethics like how did that feel when that finally came out and it had that little equal vision logo on the back oh man yeah it was an honor you know like i said i think well for me growing up one of my favorite bands that saves the day and i remember just always looking at the equal vision logo on the back of their cds you know and then to to see that in our own creation it was it was very surreal you know at the time and uh we were always just a big fan of their their catalog of music and and um you know the fact that they they put their faith in us was was very cool and i i mean that it, the success never comes right away you know so yeah. at first you know it was it was taking a minute to to get there and i just yeah um so it did you know at first it was a little discouraging it's like we're on this label um, you know, people are starting to come out, but it's not the amount that we were, you know, hoping for. And then slowly but surely, we just kept getting on these tours and and uh, outdrawing the headliners, and and it was just a you know rolling rolling snowball that eventually turned into I mean, quite the monster by the end of the cycle. What were some of those uh, early tours? What some, were some of the bands you guys were on the road with? Uh, the one when we first came out, we were on tour with Still Life Projector and Folly. I don't know if you know either of those. I've heard of Folly before, yeah. Yeah, and then after that was more of like a hardcore tour with the Calico System, and then I used to um, I used to love Calico System, and I go see them every time they were anywhere close. Oh yeah, 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 yeah they're awesome. And then uh, Fall of Troy and us did a co-headlining, and then that brought us into touring with uh, Armor for Sleep. And boys night out, and uh, that's that's when all the tours started picking up, and we, we were getting bigger ones, and 
then on the warp tour and then that's when it all really started to explode did you feel that when you guys did like the first headlining tour i know in my experience and then some friends of mine experiences as well you know when you're a support act you kind of do whatever you want and this is just how we are then when you actually have to be a headliner you feel like there's a little bit more pressure a little bit more like you have to like make it a show like you're in charge like you're the people are coming out to see you did you guys have a little bit of anxiety when you first did the first headliner yeah well i mean yeah we did i guess the we were the headliner for the very first tour off of all as well you know and um yeah we were kind of disappointed with with the the turnout but um we didn't actually do another headliner until bone palace came out you know because we were lucky enough to keep landing on supporting acts you know doing a warp tour taste of chaos and a couple other you know pretty big opening situations there that uh led us all the way into our next record cycle so but by the time bone palace came out yeah the uh, it was our turn to finally put on a production instead of, you know, being the front stack on stage. <laughs> yeah. So it was cool. You know, we uh, actually, you know, hired light people and had banners and the whole production. And it was pretty, um, yeah, I guess, again, surreal and uh, definitely um, a pivotal point in our career. So Bone Palace Ballet, that came out in 2007. It debuted at number five on Billboard. Uh, I always thought it was cool because uh, our mutual friend, Nick Martin, who used to be, I, used, I played in Undermined for a while with Nick. I played, oh, okay, I played cool. bass and uh, he's now nice. in Sleeping with Sirens. I know you, you you played in Cinematic Sunrise and all this different stuff with him, but uh, he guested on, uh, I can't remember the name, Undertaker's Revenge. Is that the name of the yeah, song? Under, there's a couple songs he was on, Undertaker's Thirst for Revenge. And bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. I just, I just remember hearing that for the first time, and I was like, "Whoa, that's not Craig. <laughs> that sounds like Nick." And then I looked at the like the liner notes. And I'm like, "Oh my god, it's Nick!" It was just so brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's cool because uh, you know, there's an, an oversaturation of you know metal vocalists that all sound the same almost, you know. But then you hear Nick Martin and you're like, oh, that's Nick Martin. <laughs> I always, I always thought, like, because I met him on Warp Tour 2004 when Undermined was setting up the Smart Punk stage. We got to be friends. They needed a bass player for a while. I went and played bass oh, cool. with him. And I just remember the first time I heard Nick, I was like, he's screaming. He's doing that hardcore thing, but there's melody in his screams. It was, oh, yeah. was kind of strange, you know? <laughs> uh huh. No, I mean, you could the passion in it and you know, it was almost like a zach de la roca the yell yeah, at the yeah. same time you know so you know speaking of nick and speaking of you played in cinematic sunrise that was a side project that he was also in you guys a lot of you guys in chiodos seem to do a lot of different projects were those just you know did you just love staying busy or like how did those things come about for you in particular uh for me i guess the only one i was really involved in was uh I guess Cinematic Sunrise um, was, yeah, you know, Craig had some friends that we wanted to do a, a pop punk collaboration with, and it sounded fun to me. I always love pop punk, and um, I'm playing keyboard, so that, that was a no-brainer. We, we did that. We put out an EP on Equal Vision, um, and then I can't think if, if I really did anything else. Oh, I played with Sound of Animals Fighting once. Um, I was never on the records or anything, and then, oh, I started... Uh, Kind of uh, back to my still no sign days, um, more of like a a pop punk uh, band that I was singing in, you know, but a little on the rougher vocal side. So it was cool. 
uh, called Shotgun Machine Gun with the same guys that were in Stumbo Science. So okay. it was kind of like a throwback to our old high school band. Well, that's awesome. So when Bone Palace Ballet came out, the one we were talking about, I mean, since it debuted at number five, you guys are well into kind of being, you know, a well-established act. How how did that feel? Was that different than when the debut came out? Did you guys feel less pressure, more pressure? How was it when uh, Bone Palace came out? Oh, we felt more pressure for sure, just because, you know, as we're gaining fans, they're developing these expectations and and the hard part when you're writing an album is to ignore those expectations, you know? I mean, you know what people want you to sound like, but it's not necessarily what you're being inspired to make at the time. Yeah. A lot of the time. And um you so the the part that was um I guess kind of tough for us was, you know, making sure that we stayed true to what it was, you know, that made us a band from the beginning and what our goals had always been. So as we did that, um, we brought in more of that classical element. You know, we we had string players on the album and, and trying to do some, like, I don't know, more like operatic, like, background vocals and whatnot. You know, um, we listened to a lot of Queen and I at the opera in the studio, trying to just take us out of our own element and... Um, not be comfortable and, and let anything really define us. And I think as ironic as it is, that's what did define us, <laughs> you know, yeah. is the fact that we, we were willing to go outside the box and, and, uh, you know, have one song sound Latin to the next that as a piano ballad and the next that screaming in your face, <laughs> you know? So, um, I, I, but I feel like it, that's what allowed us to reach, you know, a, a broader fan base. And as we were coming down to it in the studio, we only had a few days left um, once the instruments were finished and, until we had to get on Warp Tour and take off. And so me and, me and Craig were panicking because we didn't have all the vocals written yet, you know, so we just really grinded hard at that, at that point and um, knocked it all out. And um, I think we even had a day left to spare. Um, to just all the hard work paid off and we high-fived took off and met each other at Warp Tour. <laughs> hey, this is Chris from that one time on tour. Odds are, if you're listening to this, you're in a band or know someone who is. One of the biggest problems facing bands is finding affordable, high-quality merchandise. Well, not anymore. The Merch Planet offers soft, high-end quality shirts starting as low as $6 a piece. And right now, they are offering 15% off your first order to all TOTOT listeners. They have lightning fast turnarounds and ship everywhere throughout the U.S. and Canada. Head on over to themerchplanet.com and use the promo code TOTOT15 at checkout. You'll be glad you did. So what is the what was the process like when you guys would write songs? Like, do people bring full songs in? Do you come in with a piano part? Like, how did how, how did that all come together when you guys would write? Yeah, I mean, each song... Uh, had a, had a different approach to it, you know, and I, I think that too is is what made each song sound a lot different from each other. Um, a lot of times, it was a song that I I I would have parts to, whether it was piano or guitar or, or vocal ideas, and then um, Jason at that time was a um, you know a main songwriter too on on the guitar, and he he brought in you know, a lot of the heavier elements into the band. So 
that the combination of the two, we would just feed off of each other and try to incorporate both those elements into it. And then Craig would come to the table always with ideas as well. And, um, you know, whether it was something he was messing with on the guitar with the melody over top of it, or just, um, guidance of what his vision was for each riff that he would hear. That's cool. So you guys toured, this is, I was very interested in this. Uh, in 2009, in 2009, you guys toured with Nine Inch Nails and Alice in Chains in Australia. That just seems like, for me, you know, growing up in the 90s, that seems like a, uh, like a, an amazing tour that I could not even dream of being on. With you kind of liking the same stuff, like how, how did that feel to, to be on tour with those iconic bands? Yeah, that was pretty overwhelming and cool, man. It was, um, uh, it was more of the f- festival atmosphere, you know, so it's not like you got to like meet them or anything, but yeah. it, w- it was cool, you know, at the end of the day, we would play a little bit earlier, so we get to hang out, have a couple drinks, and sit back and, and watch the show, you know. It was, it was definitely uh, quite the experience and a big part of, a uh, big proud part of, of my musical resume. Did you guys ever go to Australia again, or was that the only time? Uh, we did go back once again at the kind of like the tail end of our, our career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys like it over there? Yeah. I mean, it seems more like America than most any other country that we it's really went very to, westernized. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd say it's one of my, my favorite spots to visit for sure. So, uh, in 2009, it seems like a lot happened in 2009. I know, uh, eventually Craig was let go. You guys got a new singer, Brandon from yesterday's rising, uh, an old fearless band. I used to listen to all the time. What was the process like for finding Brandon? Did you guys know him previously? Yeah, we, we tour with yesterday's rising and, um, you know, he was filling for scary kids, scary kids on, uh, shortly before that too. So, um, we, we're on a warp tour with them. Um, I mean, yeah, it wasn't like our intention right away to, uh, like replace Craig with him, you know, like, um, it, it took some time, you know, we, uh, once we let the dust settle a little bit from, uh, partying ways, it wasn't easy, you know, I mean, you have all these people sending you like these hateful things telling you to kill yourself and Jeez. just everything, you know, everything negative that possibly, Come to you, but I mean, it was expected, you know, and I didn't think anybody was really going to be happy about it. That was a fan of ours, you know, but at the point, I mean, we had, we had a lot of material that was written and, and we felt, felt like, um, it just, I don't know, at at that time that we were, were confident that it was still, you know, a representation of what we wanted to do musically and, um, there, there, there was just a, a lot of things, a lot of things going on in the uh, the band that weren't making sense. That we all stayed together, and yeah. we knew that it was going to be some separations either way. So, um, yeah, I mean, we had some influence from uh, outside perspective, you know, with the label and and management and booking agencies that said that they all agreed that this was probably the best move for all of us, you know, and. Uh, so we did it. I mean, it wasn't easy. You know? um, it was extremely difficult, and but um, we just tried to keep the mentality through it all that you know this is what's going to make us happy right now, and there's no rules to rock and roll. So 
I don't care what anybody's telling me is right, what's wrong. This is what's right for me in my own situation. And uh, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I just, it's it's so hard when, you know, you're in a band, it's like you're married to five or six guys. And oh, yeah. know, when things aren't really going the way they should be going, the out, outside perspective can, you, you know, trying to look in like, oh, they let go of their singer. But, you know, who knows how you guys were on tour together? Like, I mean, and I don't want to get yeah. into any of that, but people just don't understand that. And they hold something that's so near and dear to their heart, like your band. I know you guys had very loyal fans that yeah, I, I, just, mean, I can't even imagine what kind of stuff people said. And, and I mean, it had to yeah. be really hard. And I mean, at the time, you know, I, I'm sure some, some things were said that were probably displeasing to certain parties, you know, but um, looking back at it now, I, I, it's, it's not, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I necessarily feel like we made the right decision, but I just know we made the decision that felt the best at the time. And there's no, I don't think anybody was right or wrong. You know, there was, like you said, there's so much going on um, between our inner relationships that was just completely toxic and vile and just had to come to an end. Otherwise the band was going to come to an end in itself. Yeah. So you guys recorded Illumin Audio, Illumin Audio, mm-hmm. <laughs> I said that wrong, Illumin Audio in 2010, uh, Brandon was the new singer. Uh, you guys worked with Machine pro- at production. How was that? Because that that guy's done some huge stuff, man. Oh, uh, yeah, working with Machine was awesome. I mean, he was definitely my uh, my top choice just based off his catalog and the, and the kind of like, you know, the whole sonic feel that he would have to his recordings. So... Um, once he said he took it on, it would take it on. Um, we were super stoked, you know. Um, it was, we sent him stuff even before we confirmed Brandon, I believe. Uh, I don't know, the timeline's kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of sketchy at this point. <laughs> it's been but, a long time ago. It's kind of uh, fuzzy, it has right? Been a long time. But, um, he, uh, so the process with Brandon, uh, like I said, you know, we, we were, kind of looking around not as hard as we were writing new music yeah. and just making sure that we were trying to get the right songs going. And then t- Tanner was playing drums for us at the time. He was a new drummer. He was really close with Brandon and was like, yeah, I got to play this. Brandon sent me some of the s- tracks that we've been recording and uh, with him just singing some vocals over top of it. So he did. And I was like, man, that sounds really cool. It doesn't sound like Craig could be, a bad thing it could be a good thing, you know. Maybe it yeah. could kind of set the records apart and make him not have to live in his shoes so much. So, um, but I really liked the way that his voice was sounding over what we were making, you know. So, um, as we were going through our options, that was that was our final choice at the end of the day. And um, he flew up to Michigan. We finished writing the record for another three months probably and then jump into the studio's machine where, where did you guys record that at with machine um i forget the name of the studio it's out in uh right outside new york city like okay yeah new jersey or hoboken yeah oh, okay cool have you ever played maxwell's in hoboken no <laughs> it's a little bar <laughs> we, the guitars we always used to play out there in hoboken it's a really nice little place yeah, no, it's a cool area. Yeah, uh, it was it was definitely different. We had we lived in New Jersey, but we're uh, recording up there, and it's a 
it was um it was quite the experience so that album i mean came out to you know kind of mixed reviews i mean i really liked it i thought it was a lot different than what you guys had done in the past now what led the whole time 2012 a couple years later craig to come back did you guys just mend fences like how did all that come about um yeah so i guess you know the the cycle wasn't going as well as we were hoping that it would you know off of Illuminatio, and um it just wasn't becoming really practical to, to keep it going um and so by the end of it we all just kind of went home and focused on our own things you know yeah and then um i'm not sure how much later it was but I think uh, Craig had reached out to me in an email and was wondering if I uh, wanted to meet up and just, uh, you know, discuss a possibility of some reunion shows. So uh, we did that and then went back and talked to every- and started reaching out to everybody else. And everybody else was uh, down to um, at least do some reunion shows together. And then you guys, when, when you know, you started doing the reunion shows when did uh, Razor and Ty come into the picture? Uh, not for a while. You know, we were still um, obligated to Equal Vision at that point. Yeah. I believe. And um, <clears throat> so we uh, so we did some reunion shows with Jason. And then he, he's, uh, after, you know, what we had agreed to at the end of them, he said, you know, that was it. I just, I just wanted to do those shows because the rest of us were talking about <clears throat> uh, potentially writing another record, you know, because we were having so much fun yeah. doing it all again. There's a lot of hype around it all. And uh, he uh, he couldn't for personal reasons. And so he counted himself out and we reached out to uh, Thomas from the Fall of Troy. And he was super excited to join us. And so we did some shows with him and then all decided to uh, write the record together. And uh, we didn't really choose a label till about halfway through the record recording process. So, and that record's entitled devil, correct? Yep. How, how did, uh, who did you guys work with on that record? Uh, David Bottrell. Okay, cool. And you got, where'd you guys record that at on, on one of the coasts or somewhere local? Yeah, this was in uh, upstate New York, um, just outside of Woodstock. We started it in Kingston, which is right right by there, and then uh, ended up recording the rest of it in Woodstock itself. So, and then you guys signed to Razor and Tie. Were there a lot of labels kind of looking at you guys because you know having kind of the original quote unquote lineup back together could be very. Yeah, like you said no. there was a lot of hype around. It. I remember seeing stuff on the internet like crazy about you guys. Yeah, we were we were shopping it around. Um, and uh, they gave us the offer that we thought made most sense, you know, and we we talked to them, uh, and we were really impressed with our meeting with them. And, I mean, they put out Kids Bop, so what <laughs> what else do you have to say? <laughs> are, are there Kids Bop versions of your songs yet? That'd be I amazing. wish, man. That was always my goal as a musician was to make Kids Bop, but it never happened, so... I don't know if it's too late, you know, maybe. Speaking of kids, happen. Bob, I, li- I like uh, tangents. Are are you a dad? Do you have any kids? Yeah, I do. I have, I have a uh, almost two-year-old son. I have a three-year-old son and almost two-year-old daughter. And man, those kids, Bob, things. They, they figured out how to do YouTube, <laughs> and that's all we hear. 
<laughs> That's funny, man. I don't mind it. <laughs> no, you don't mind. Does your does your son like uh, like music? Does he have any favorites? Oh yeah, his favorite for some reason. I had never played the song for him, and all of a sudden one day he was singing uh, "New Kids on the Block," the right stuff. Oh wow! And I was just like, I mean, he's, he was uh, like a little over one years old, just uh, singing "Oh oh oh." I was like, I've never once played this song for you. I have no clue where you've heard it, and it it's became his morning routine. So he listens to that first thing every single morning. <laughs> just just make sure that he doesn't hear "Old Town Road" by. Billy Ray Cyrus and little Nas X because my son oh, yeah. found it on his on his tablet and oh my gosh man every two minutes I got to hear that song I, I put that on there too on his playlist and uh, he likes the other one better what's it called the Get Up yeah 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 he likes the Get Up <laughs> has he uh, I mean I know he's only two but uh, have you shown him any videos of Dad kind of rocking out on stage yeah I, I think. I think other people have, and he doesn't understand what it is, but he'll get there. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, he knows. He knows I like to play guitar and piano and sing and stuff. So I came. Yeah. Home, I came home from work the other night, and uh, my wife was showing my son like warp tour videos of me on like from 2009 on YouTube, and my son's like, "Daddy, yeah. daddy!" Like <laughs> he's got a drum set and three guitars. Like I've, I just want to have everything available. I'm not going to force it on him, but I want him to be able to play if he wants to. You know. Oh, I'm going to force it on him. Oh, are you going to force it? <laughs> it's forced on me. It's going to be forced on him. <laughs> so uh, back to uh, you know your career. <laughs> you guys kind of called it quits in 2016. Now, was it an official breakup, or is there any chance you guys might do some stuff in the future? Let's see. I guess our last show was April 4th of 2015. Um, but yeah, I think we were just kind of silent for a bit, and... Um, but I mean, at that point, like, you know, we had <clears throat> after devil and we did a tour cycle on that, there was just some bad chemistry again and members started leaving, you know, they think they were just over touring, you know, I mean, we've been doing this for 12, 12 years at this point. Yeah. I think some people were just burnt out and didn't think it was worth it to be away from loved ones to, to, um, go through anymore, you know? So, I mean, it all makes sense to me. Um. I was a little more patient with it, but, um, so eventually, you know, we did like a tour of day to remember there and, and, uh, we're doing a cold headliner plus the fall. And then we <clears throat> had, yeah. Um, well, I guess it was on the day to remember we, we, we had some, uh, some fill in, uh, instrumentalists because other people didn't necessarily want to do it anymore. And then after that, it was just, I don't know. We, and we kept trying, you know, we were doing a world world tour after that, but it was just like plugging people in, teaching new people music. It was just getting very exhausting and and um, not, not really worth it anymore. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, a couple of us were, you know, had loved ones back at home at that point as well that we all just thought, you know, maybe now is the time to explore other av other avenues in life, and um, so we did that, and we've all been pretty happy doing our own thing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with, with the band being such a huge part of your life, and it kind of being your livelihood, and you're living for a long time, what did you write after the band? Like, what did you start to do as far as a job and everything? Yeah, that's 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 the hard part is you know turning around and. 
and uh, being like, okay, now I've got to go do something completely different necessarily. I don't know. I mean, like Craig's still doing music stuff, you know, he has yeah. a, a name to him, so he can. I was just a keyboard player, <laughs> so like, <laughs> I, it, it wasn't extremely easy for me to turn around and do the same thing, you know, and I didn't really want to start from scratch again necessarily and go through all of that. Um, you know, there's a lot of emotional ups and downs with being in a group. So, um, I was at the point of, am I going to go back to college and finish my degree in music education? That's what I was originally going for. Yeah. Or just try to start my own business and, and something where it can be super, you know, lucrative pretty fast and not have a ceiling to, um, you know, a, a career that I want to create for a family. So I jumped into the insurance industry and I've been doing that for, I guess, uh, four years now. That's and awesome. Yeah, it's going good, man. Um, I, I always tell people, they're like, a, it's so, so weird that, you know, you were a touring musician and then now you're an insurance agent. It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm completely domesticated. I listen to country <laughs> music and I play golf now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Have you ever sold insurance to somebody that was a fan of your band? Oh yeah, a bunch, <laughs> bunch of them. I've had people call in and and get quotes and stuff. You know. <laughs> so, well, yeah. If funny. anybody listening to the podcast, buy your insurance from Brad. <laughs> uh, my my secretary. Yeah, please do. Farmers Insurance and Davidson. Uh, my uh, shameless plug. Uh, my secretary, even when I interviewed her, she said, my daughter actually has a poster of you. On her <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's awesome. So, I love yeah, the fact it, that it you were funny. into music education as well, because what I'm doing now that I'm not touring, I have two children, I'm married and, you know, have a house and everything. I teach guitar full time. I have like 70 kids a week that I teach private lessons oh, to. And that's awesome. And I, I also have a, a music camp where we put bands together and like music education. I, I just felt like, that was my passion other than playing music. So I'm, I feel like I'm lucky to be able to do that. A lot of people probably don't get to, but the insurance game sounds pretty cool, man. I've always been a good salesman. Like how did you, how did you decide to get into that? I don't know. Like we were coming home from, uh, our last world tour run. Um, I think our last, our last flight was, yeah, we were actually coming from Australia. Our last flight was from, Hawaii and I just I, was, I just started hitting freak out mode like okay I'm going home what am I gonna do so I just threw my resume and a bunch of online websites and as soon as I landed in Flint I got a call from an insurance company and it's like okay I'll go I'll go take a look you know so That's awesome. I've, I've jumped around from a few of them and finally landed at one for a few years and it's going pretty good like I said you know um I opened an office house and got married all within three months and then a few months later, got pregnant with our first son. So fully domesticated now. And um, and I mean, who knows? There may be a final show one day, but I don't think um, I, it's not in the plans right now. Yeah. But I know that some people would like to say goodbye to everybody and thank you for supporting us through the years because we never got a, a righteous chance to do that. So. Well, and I mean, I think if you guys decided to do some kind of final show or something, it would be massive. I mean, have you seen how how big the emo night things are? Yeah. I mean, that blows my mind, man. Yeah, no, I think it would be really cool. And I, I feel like there's a lot of closure between the relationships and the band that's that's not there. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that would be the best way to do it all. It's just... We haven't really got everybody on board yet for it, so I'm not. 
I don't know that it's impossible, but yeah, um, it's not uh, not completely out of the question. I don't think. Cool. Well, hey, I also have this kind of weird tangent question with you being living where you live. The you know everybody that that doesn't live up there always hears about the water situation in Flint. Has that affected you? And I mean, do you do you think about that? I mean, are you close enough to Flint for that to affect you? Yeah, well, um, I'm in a suburb of Flint, so it's only within the Flint city limits. Um, even Flint Township isn't affected by it. But yeah, I mean, we uh, you have people that are moving out of Flint because they're getting charged these huge water bills and their water's not even drinkable, you yeah. know? So uh, people are, you know, our school systems in the suburbs are, are getting flooded by it. They've shrunk down their schools to one school now. Um, just called Flint and, uh, not all of them, but pretty much, you know, primarily. And a lot of people have fled the city, but there is like a resurgence downtown that is, is very cool. You know, it's, um, we're getting a lot of like, uh, newer, like hit bars and, and things to do down there, which, uh, good restaurants. And I think that's bringing a new life back to Flint. They have, uh, two college campuses down there now too. So it, it, it's not all bad news, but yet it's not fixed, you know, yeah. and that's what's messed yeah. up. I mean, you, you've seen this for years now that this has been a, a huge problem. And yet um, it seems like federally that we're just so focused on so many other things, things that, that don't sh- matter. shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's a, everyone's just pointing fingers here and, and not, um, you know, fixing the problem as fast as it could be, but it, they are doing progress. You know, I think over the last year they've, they've, they've done uh, quite a bit from what I've heard. Cool. Well, Hey man, you know, I've had you on the phone for quite a while. Uh, what does the future hold for you? I know you said it's not out of the question that you guys might do like a final show or something. Do you have any music projects or are you doing anything musically nowadays? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I do some like cover bar gigs and whatnot, you know, and, um, just to kind of pick up where I needed. So, uh, it, it's all, I, I don't really have a lot of time to focus on music, but yeah, me neither. Um, I know what you're saying. I, <laughs> I, I feel like it's a good, uh, refresh on, uh, my lunch breaks. I, I like to go home and play the piano. So, um, so I'm still playing, you know, um, I don't really necessarily have, uh, a, a, a final, like, uh, I guess guidance of what I want to do next musically, but you know, maybe it'll come to me soon. Cool. And, uh, if people want to check out your socials, do you have, you have an Instagram and the band is just Chiodos at Chiodos, I think. Correct. Uh, yeah. And then your Instagram, do you want them to check your Instagram out? I can, I can keep it hidden if you don't want that. Oh, well, I mean, again, I haven't updated it in a long time, but (laughs) it's just us Sir Bradley Bell. So, Maybe I'll start using it again, though. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. It's been great speaking with you and kind of learning about your story. And, uh, you know, if you guys decide to do like a final show or something, please come back on and let us know about it, okay? Okay. And I didn't, for the record, I didn't say we are going to. <laughs> I know. I said if you guys ever decide to, even like 20 years down the line or something, if this podcast okay. still exists, you got to come back go. and hang out with us. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Cool. Thank yeah, you so much, time, man. It was fun. Yep. I'll talk to you very soon, okay? All right. Later. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Bradley Bell from Chiodos. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Bradley was uh, was really cool to speak with. 
And uh, hopefully we'll, you know, get some more Chiodo stuff here in the future. But um, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to keep this super short. I appreciate you guys coming back. As always, if you guys want to get more involved with the show, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. If you guys want to leave us a review or subscribe or rate, that would be awesome. It really helps the show grow. If you have a band or a company and you want some really cheap promotion, hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check us out on all of the socials. I hang out on Instagram more than anywhere else, but Facebook is making a comeback, man. It's it's gaining. We've almost got a thousand people on Facebook and you can get us everywhere at TOTOTpodcast. And that's it. I'm going to play some music here in a second, but first off, I want to tell you guys about next week's episode. This one was awesome. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I got to sit down with Mr. Trevor Riley from A Wilhelm Scream. A Wilhelm Scream is one of those bands that I just could listen to all day. I used to kind of say my my first band, Chronic Chaos, I played them on the show a couple times, and you can check us out on Spotify. It'll be in the show notes. But uh, I always thought if Chronic Chaos would have kept playing and we would have got better, that we would have kind of been a a ripoff of A Wilhelm Scream because we had kind of like the the lead guitar stuff, kind of metal influence, but it's still kind of punky. And and I don't know. And, and talking to Trevor was great. We were supposed to do an in-person podcast back last August when I went and did my podcast with Stefan from The Descendants because a Wilhelm Scream was opening up for The Descendants. But basically, Stefan and I talked so long, we didn't have time to do it because by the time that I was going to talk to Trevor, they were on stage. And uh, yeah, it just, <laughs> Stefan and I talked for a long time. You can go back and check that out. I think it's in like somewhere in the 20s, like 22 or something, episode 22. I'm not sure. But uh, Trevor was great. We had an awesome conversation. We talked about gear. We talked about their hometown in Massachusetts. We talked about all kinds of stuff. So come back next week for my conversation with Trevor Riley from A Wilhelm Scream. He also just turned 40. So if you guys see Trevor, tell him happy birthday. (laughs) So I will see you guys next week, but not before I play a song. And I'm going to play an awesome song. We talked about it during the podcast. Uh, For a while, I I did a tour where I was playing bass with uh, Underminded. They were a great band from Kung Fu Records. And Nick Martin, their singer and guitarist, is he also did some stuff with Chiodos. And now he actually plays guitar in Sleeping With Sirens. But this song, Nick does some guest vocals on with Craig. It's called The Undertaker's Thirst for Revenge. It is off Chiodos' 2007 release on Equal Vision Records, Bone Palace Ballet. And it is a ripper, man. I love this song. I remember hearing it for the first time, and it's just... It's a great song. It's pretty brutal. Some of you guys out there that listen to really heavy stuff, it might not be as brutal as you think it's going to be, but it's pretty damn brutal. I, I really enjoy it. It's got some really cool melodic stuff, and and then Nick comes in with just crushing vocals, and it's a really good song. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy it. I'm going to get out of here. I love you all. As always, thank you for the support. Hit me up on the socials. Shoot me an email. Let me know what's going on. Let me know how you're doing. I want this to be an open communication with you because you guys listen and you guys are my friends and I love you. So here it is, Chiodos with The Undertaker's Thirst for Revenge. See you guys next week. Chris out.
sun wakes up. Empty is the eyes of animals in cages. Empty the faces of women in mourning when everything has been taken from them. Me? Don't ask me about empty. <laughs> Say, hey, this is Silas Swinney. <laughs> Silas Swinney. And you're listening to... That one time on tour. That's one of the That one time on tour. That's one of my tuner. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.